0: Our theme today is Position for Purpose on our series, Movement and Multiplication. We've been working our way through the Book of Acts, and uh, last year we started uh, earlier on in the Book of Acts, and this year we picked up from 8, 9, and now are in Acts 10. Um, it's really, really exciting. We know our church here is, is uh, seeing God's hand in repeated ways and all sorts of different things, and uh, we're really excited about it. Um, you know, I spoke to... Uh, a number of you at the Big Harvest sort. I want to congratulate you all, 20,000 items of food. I can see people smiling already. Who's got a bad back? <laughs> uh, the, uh, who, uh, I just thought I'd ask a few questions. Of the 20,000 items, in fact, I think it's more than that, um, who, who did the biscuits? Okay. Chris and Norman, oh, they were in the <laughs> b- <laughs> Chris and Norman. What about beans, who was it? who's on beans? Yeah, Simone, Angie. Uh, What about pasta? (laughs) Oh, Liz did the pasta, because she's married to the pasta. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So cheesy, I know. But um, Anyway, it's great great fun, isn't it, to get together. And uh, it was a busy, busy week. We won on Michael and Janet and the team that worked so hard on that. I think we should just show appreciation. Uh, it certainly was a, a great, great thing, and we're well stacked up now for, for this year as we go ahead. Um, church is an exciting place. Our, our theme, our focus is Positioned for Purpose. We know the church is positioned for purpose, and uh, I know that individually you're positioned for purpose. Uh, sometimes we lose sight of that, and we feel the pressures, the tensions, the, the circumstances of where we are, and uh, we're not quite sure whether God's really involved or whether he's not. We, don't, we know as a church he is. We've seen many, many decisions for Christ. And, uh, you know, we're in two services and s- some weeks it's rammed in here and other weeks there's a bit of space. But um, we just praise God. And, but there's a few things that we ought to look for uh, in terms of being positioned for God's purpose that uh, it's good for us to reflect on. And the first thing I want to look at this morning is breaking routines, breaking routines. As part of that topic uh, or this topic of, of positioning for purpose, we're going to look at the life of Cornelius in Acts 10, really exciting book, uh, and his engagement, his work, his discovery of who Peter is. Peter was the principal apostle in Jerusalem, and Cornelius was probably the, the most significant uh, Roman centurion in Caesarea in his day. Um, he was a God-fearing man, uh, but had no relationship with who Jesus is, and we're going to explore that journey. But um, who loves routines? Who loves routines? Yeah, most of you. Most of you love routines, don't they? Um, I was thinking to myself, um, what are my routines? I thought of a few at home. It's always me who seems to be putting the stuff out, the rubbish out. I don't. Know. Who else is the rubbish person in your? I don't mean a rubbish person, but <laughs> you, you and me together. You know, I find little piles of stuff at home. I don't know about you, but I'm going to get into so much trouble. Little piles of plastic recycling things. It's my job to go put them out. Piles of paper. It's my job to put it into recycling. And uh, one thing I've noticed is that obviously we, we share roles at home and you, you, may, you may have your particular passions, but um, I have got children, as I'm sure some of you have had or have at the moment. But I've noticed that they are, they've definitely got their routine. They are wired to spread around the house as much as possible. I've noticed that, um, that they, they're, they're, their whole mission in life is to move everything from their room to everywhere else in the house. That, that is their routine. They almost never do it the other way around. And I'm constantly trying to get that reshaped. i think what is really frustrating. I've got two daughters at university. You know, their rooms are immaculate at university. It's just that I, I, for, for 18 years, I was trying to get it into them to keep the place tidy. And now, now they've got their own place. It's like um, it's all working out. Well, that's how it is, I guess. So, so breaking into routines. Right, let's move on with this. So Cornelius, he was an, uh, an army officer, a centurion, Um, A man with responsibility had a hundred men underneath him, and uh, he he has a a strange number of things happen to him. We know already that he's a a godly man. He's a god fearing kind of guy, but he's not saved. He's not saved. And for those who are just church goers, you could be godly, but you may not be saved. And and um, you know you may know people who call themselves Christians because our culture looks at Christianity as being people who go to church. Doesn't mean you're saved. Um, just like, you know, there are people in the Muslim world or in different parts of the world who, who may ethnically be called Muslim, but it doesn't mean to say they really got their... They're not real followers of, of Islamic faith or religion. Um, and uh, we come across these situations repeatedly. But uh, we're just going to look at um, Acts 10 here. It says, In Caesarea there lived a Roman officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man and was... Uh, as was everyone in his household, he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. That's very, very interesting. Um, I just want to show you where Caesarea is, or was. It still is there, but it's not looking like that anymore. It was built around 20 BC. Herod the Great was linked to the construction of the place. Um, it was viewed by the Romans as their principal city in Judea, so one of six cities that they they populated and. And this would have been the epicentre. It was really their power base in Judea, which meant that uh, that's where they put their investment. It was, a, it was the most important um, Mediterranean coastal port, 50, mi- 50 kilometres from Joppa, 32 miles roughly. And it's where commerce would happen. It's where the fashionable people would have lived. It's where the people with influence wanted to be because that's where the seat of power was for the Romans. So that's where Cornelius was. And he was a man who prayed. It says, One afternoon... Um, At about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said, Cornelius, so he responded, Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Two things I just want to pull out here. Firstly, the angel um, of God was coming towards him. Coming towards him. You know, does that matter? I think it does. It shows uh, me that God is moving towards those who are going to be saved. God is moving towards them. And uh, in this case, he was terrified by what he saw. Uh, the chapter talks a bit more about what he saw. It was a bright, you know, angelic figure he felt he saw. Um, but also we find out something about what God sees in people. And God had seen in his life that he, had, he prayed regularly and he'd given gifts to the poor and they were received to God as an offering, it says. It's very interesting that our prayers and our finances do matter to God. What we do with both our prayer life and our financial life. Now, as a Christian, don't want to condemn anybody, but God sees what we do. He looks at what we do. He, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, but also, faith is the tangible, tangible what we do with things, according to James, the book of James. It's what we do. Faith without works is dead, the Bible says. And God absolutely sees sees what we do and you may be a faithful faithful giver and you may be a faithful prayer and you do both of those things very well god sees everything you do let me tell you you may feel at times you know is god really in in some of areas of your life you want Him to be more involved but god sees god sees in fact the the greek word um, he receives as an offering is similar to the modern word memo it's almost like we send a memo to god when we give god sees that we give and when we pray he sees that we pray when we don't pray, we don't give, we, God sees that as well. So it's just that he sees. And in this case, it started to change Cornelius' life. And it will change our life. I mean, the more we get a revelation on this, that God sees everything we do. Um, we know he was frightened of this angel. But it says in Hebrews 1 that uh, angels are ministering spirits sent to those who will receive an inheritance of salvation. So we know God is moving into situations we know in the Arab world, in the Middle East, many people get angelic visitations. Um, I know people personally who I've spoken to who, who have seen visions, dreams, had all this stuff that we're talking about. And uh, it's definitely not rare. It's very common, actually. Um, and it, it, the reality is getting our heads around it a little bit. But the angel said two things. The first, we, we're, we're already, we've already read, that God sees and receives from us. And God takes note of that. It says in, um, in Proverbs nineteen seventeen, that it says, um, if you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord and he will repay you. He's totally aware of what we do. And whoever will draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he will reward those who seek him. So prayer is seeking God, really. And there have been many people coming to this church over the years, even in the last couple of weeks, I've been speaking to people who, who know that they're not quite there in terms of their faith, but they know that they're drawn to God and that we, I've been praying with people who, who just they just want to come fully into salvation. It's a fantastic place to be. It's like fruit on a tree. And we know that salvation is a very real journey. It's that journey from complete lostness through discovery of information, discovery of you know, things are going on. And you realise God is drawing you into an encounter with himself. It's like fruit on a tree. And, you know, in my kitchen, I've got a lemon tree it's uh, funny, it's only about this big and I've got four or five or six lemons and it, it was out on the patio and I thought, I need to not let the lemon tree, because it had fruit on it. I thought, I want the fruit to ripen and of course, you know, it gets so cold in Britain. I thought, I'll get the fruit, get the tree inside and hopefully it'll ripen uh, and it has started to ripen and I've got these yellow lemons on my tree but really surprising to me, it started to grow more new lemons. It's really bizarre. I thought, you know, winter has come but um, it's, it's interesting that the, our salvation journey is one of fruit. It's like we are, God is forming something in our understanding and we come to him. So no matter where you are on the journey, if, you, if you're not yet saved, or you are not, not yet sort of surrendered your life, God is very much involved in what you're doing. And that's what was happening here with Cornelius. Um, so he was, not, he was not a believer in terms of Jesus Christ and he was not saved. There was a difference, but he was worshipping God and God knew all about it. uh, But when we see visions or have vision, uh, I said once before that a godly vision will mess with us, but it will mature in us. So a godly vision messes with us, it matures in us, but it will multiply through us. We know that Cornelius does come to faith. Uh, It's later on in the chapter, we'll just touch on the edge of that this morning. But he comes to faith and his whole household comes to faith. The importance of godly men leading households is very, very important godly men in households can change change a household and in his case he was doing that and uh, but he got this vision from god and it was a very tangible vision and um, and he was inspired by it and uh, but you know we also know that Cornelius inevitably was going to go back to Rome because he was a Roman and he was kind of on kind of mission if you like in, in Caesarea and he would have gone back to Rome uh, undoubtedly in in the fullness of time he would have gone back and probably taken his house church with him, back to Rome. We're filling in some blanks there, but it's, it's quite interesting. You know, Bob Sorge says, the closer you get to God, the more obedient you must become. And I read a book many years ago about a, a young Russian soldier called Vanya in the communist days. And he, as a young man of faith, went into the army for t- and for two years his life was persecuted because people knew he was a, a follower of Jesus. He believed Jesus <coughs> Christ. But he saw some amazing miracles, had angelic encounters. Had, it's an amazing book. We encourage you, if you're interested in a, in a true life story of a man who saw the most extraordinary things, Vanya, great, great story. Um, but he led many of his, his um, fellow um, soldiers to Christ. The officials didn't like it. Uh, they persecuted him. They made him stand out semi-naked in the cold overnight in Siberian temperatures for multiple nights. They tried different ways of put him through incredible pain. But by God's grace, he, he survived. Eventually, they did kill him. His body just disappeared. And, and But in the meantime, so many of his fellow um, o- uh, soldiers came to faith that they decided to disband the whole unit. And so what they did was they sent all these soldiers to other units all the way across Russia, inspired by Jesus Christ. Incredible, isn't it, how God does stuff. And this morning in the first service, Eric was with us. And um, we know it's a tough time for Eric and Lisa and the family right now because of visa situations. It's not private, it's public. We've been praying for them. But when <coughs> when God... Positions us for purpose, things change. He wants to break our routines. Right now, Eric and Lisa and the family are having to consider whether they they relocate outside of the UK because of the visa situation. They're New Zealand nationals. They're full-time missionaries here in the UK working with OM, as you know. And they lead a life group, and we love them. Um, Blair, Chrissy, and Abby, we, we love you guys. And, you know, the last thing we want to see is those guys move out of what they're doing here because they're leading a great life group They're doing a tremendous job with the team in Pebbles. Pebbles has doubled up now. There's two days a week. It could carry on growing. So why is it that all of a sudden they've got this problem? Well, who knows? It may just be that God's opening a door for them, maybe in short term, maybe long term. But it's interesting. One of the very real opportunities is for Eric and Lisa and the family to relocate to Macedonia. Now, wouldn't that be amazing? You know, our loss might be someone else's gain. And we have to look at that. God, is, God moves situations because we're here to serve him, not to serve ourselves. And, you know, our routines, we love our comfort, don't we? We love our predictability. Who likes routines? Yes. We like our, you know, breakfast. I have porridge every day. You, you, you got it. You love it. You, you know what you like in life and, and you work for that. As soon as someone says you can't have something, that's when you're, you rise up, don't you? As soon as someone says no, I want, you know, that's mine. You know, but, but when we submit to God, he will mess with our routines. He will reposition us. It's for purpose, not, not just because he wants to mess around with our lives. But who, what, just think about it for a second. If Eric and Lisa and the family do end up in Macedonia, you know, we are started a church out there. A baby church is being formed right now with, Eric, with um, uh, Jordan and Vesna. Um, there's another OM couple near, nearby that are helping them. They've seen people come to faith. Who knows? Maybe God is going to absolutely put the resource in place to make that happen because out of life groups can grow churches and that's why life groups are so important to us they're not just a you've got nothing else to do in the week it's where we bring our collaborative faith fellowship trust in God build one another up in small groups and it's exactly what was happening with Cornelius in his household they were together inspiring one another and who knows what could happen that perhaps we will end up having a church in Tetovo that is a planted church from BCC, and Eric and Lisa are fundamentally key to that formation. You know, also this week I had a call from uh, a very, very significant church here in the UK, large, large church. They've become aware of what we're doing in the Balkans, and they've asked if they can meet with me in the next couple of weeks in London. They, they want to focus their own missional strategy and they're very, very interested in what we're doing. Now, isn't that in, in interesting how God brings connectivity? God provides. If he orders it, he pays for it. I'm telling you, God God provides. So God, and the other side of this, of course, is we could sit back in our routines and say, you know, thanks very much, but I just like coming on Sunday mornings. I just like, you know, the occasional earthquake meeting. I, I like it. Uh, the odd prayer meeting, that's enough for me. going to back off. God won't let you sit there comfortably because God will say, well, look, I need this to be done. I'm calling you to do stuff. What is it God's calling us to do? What we don't want to do is sit so far back that God just says, "Okay, I'm looking for the next available person who will take that responsibility. And God, he's not going to hang around. There's an urgency in the kingdom. Right, so the first thing is breaking routines. The second thing is bold responses. Uh, So the angel continues in verse 5. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner, leather worker, who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier. That's three people. One of uh, of his personal attendants, he told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. He he just basically got got his faith and said, this is going to happen. He makes it happen. He knew he wasn't, well, actually, did he know? I don't think he knew he wasn't saved, but he just knew he had to be obedient. The question is, why didn't God just use the angel to give him the gospel? (laughs) Would have made life a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? Why get Peter, the principal apostle, all the way up from Joppa, redirect his journey, bring a bunch of people that way, meet in, uh, in Caesarea? I just why, why go through all the hassle? Because God wants to build faith in us, and he wants to build his kingdom with us. He wants to do it in cooperation. So we as a church know that we are positioned to see kingdom things happen, and each one of us has got that responsibility. That God will draw us into situations. It makes me think about the marketplace. Cornelius was a marketplace person. He was a soldier. He was an active fighter. He managed people. was responsibility and trusted. And uh, yet he's he's in a marketplace situation. And God is... I, I tell you, our future is about penetrating the marketplace. It's not about our Sunday mornings. It's about how successfully we penetrate the marketplace. I walked out of the church a couple of weeks back and I walked up the high street and I walked into a shop because I had to take something back as I went up an escalator I looked down over the shop and I thought you know we've had over 300 people on site in the church probably 350 that particular weekend in two services you know some weekends we have another 150 in the evening so what's that 300 to 500 300 you know the numbers start to multiply up then we've got all the stuff in the weekday we've got the preschool we've got pebbles we've got social community action stuff a lot of people But as I walked up the high street, I looked and saw how many more people are not here. And I looked around and I thought, we are just a drop in the ocean. But we are a very, very significant drop in the ocean, let me tell you. I believe our call is to penetrate the marketplace. God will give us the way in. He'll give us the opportunity. He'll give us the wherewithal. It's not about Sunday mornings, really. It's about how how we're able to hear what god is saying in the opportunities around us what is it you know we go on to read about cornelius um and it says the next day as cornelius messengers uh, were nearing the town uh, peter went up on a flat roof to pray it was about noon and he was hungry but while a meal was being prepared he fell into a trance and he saw the skies open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners you can read the verses for yourselves beyond that Basically, he's told three times to get up, kill and eat these various birds and animals. And uh, there was no vegetables in sight. Let me just point out, for those of you... Um, <laughs> I'm not saying anything about God's preferences, but anyway. Um, we know Adam brilliantly pointed out what, is, what he thought might be unclean was no longer going to be called unclean. And God was turning the tables on that. So go back and listen to Adam's good preach from last weekend. Then we read about Acts 10, um, verses 19 to 20. It says, Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzled and perplexed over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I've sent them. Do you see what God's doing? He's pushing Peter into the marketplace. He's saying, I'm not sending my angels there to solve what I need you to do. And what he's saying to our church right now is we have got to penetrate the marketplace when God gives us an opportunity. We've got to, and every one of us. How many people are full-time in the church in this room? As in, as in staff? Not many. How many people are full-time in the marketplace in this room and, and are paid and salaried and got a lot of people? So you've got workplaces. Now, I know that you care about your workplaces. I know that you're looking to reach your friends but i believe god's got a huge strategy ahead of us in the marketplace what's your marketplace ministry position because i believe your story is immensely important i absolutely believe you may say i'm no evangelist you don't have to be an evangelist you just have to be willing to share the gospel you just have to be willing to pray for someone you just have to be willing to talk to someone and i know you do and you are but i know how busy the marketplace is because i've been in the marketplace For many, many years, and life is super, super busy, but God... I was talking to Martin Littlechild after the first service. He said, I can't believe the number of opportunities that are opening up right now. People talking to me about wanting to know about God. And he said, I'm even right now speaking to a guy, and we're going to share and collaborate around what it means to know God. And he said, loads of opportunities are opening up right now. I would say, look at your story. What's your story? What's the door of opportunity that God's bringing to you right now? I believe God is doing it. We're in a season of movement and multiplication. The opportunity is definitely in the marketplace. It's how do we as a church support you and what you're doing. It's a journey we're on. It's a journey we're committed to. God will give you instructions. You know, um, some of you know I I lead uh, Pocket Testament League in the UK, PTL, as a a board. Um, And we were looking for replacement directors, national directors on staff and we had to go through a journey to figure out who they were going to be. We were involved with J. John's Philo Trust, and we had a number of very good evangelists we were speaking to, and a number of key people in the UK were giving us recommendations about potential candidates. And in the end, God led us to Simon and Lynn Cordwell, who are formerly part of BCC, and by God's grace, it's just all worked out. But it's extraordinary, because it, you know, we thought, well, how's this going to work? How can we replace one director with two directors? How is that going to happen? We can't... It could be ever so bumpy for us, but we felt it was the right thing to do. And by God's grace, the week they started, their entire first year salary was provided as a gift from somebody. Isn't that incredible? In the very, the very week they started, God provided the entire year's support they needed through, through what we were doing. And the whole, the whole role was funded. Just extraordinary how that happens. Um, so God is interested in these details. And it says in Acts ten let's go on to that. Um, As Peter entered his home, this is Cornelius's, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they walked together and went inside. There were many others where many others were assembled. We we had the feature this morning about small groups, life groups. So much can happen through a small group, a fellowship group, a task group. As long as we keep a ministry mind about what we're doing. In this case, Cornelius wrongly assumed Peter was the God. Because <laughs> the angel had said, go find this guy Peter. Get this guy Peter. So why would he not assume Peter was God? You know, you could totally miss it, couldn't you? Well, there's plenty of people in our world who are not clear about who God really is. And in this case, Peter had to step in and say, look, get up, it's not me, it's all about Jesus. The focus is Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. You could spend your whole life having coffee with someone being nice to someone, being friendly with someone, talking about neighbours and talking about Coronation Street and talking about X Factor and whether or not Simon Cowell should do this or that or the judges. You could spend your whole life and, and think you're actually missionally making any difference. Well, you're building friendship, that's for sure. But actually, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Our call is all about Jesus. It's a, he is the answer for people's deep issues, and, and there are many people looking for answers. They're, they're looking for answers. They want to know how to fix the things that are not right. They want to know, if there is a God, how can God really get involved in my world? Well, you are that person. You are the person who's going to take them into that truth. You're the person. We're not talking about bashing people with scriptures every five minutes. We're talking about having that mindful awareness of what God's doing. And your life groups, or the life groups in the church, are really key to this. Because we can't talk about everything that goes on in every life group on a Sunday morning. I I know Rhoda was in the first service. She's not here in the second service. But, you know, I mentioned before, in the week of prayer and fasting, she led three people to faith during that week. In fact, she started the fast before the week of prayer and fasting. She said, I wanted to get on with it. I thought it was brilliant, do not you? And on the Saturday, before we even started, she'd led someone to Christ. It's extraordinary. And... I couldn't keep up with the conversation I had with her just the other day. And to my knowledge, she's led people to Christ since the pre- week of prayer and fasting, herself, in her, in her marketplace, in her world. It's just extraordinary. I think God is really looking to move and multiply us. But we need boldness and we need to be responsive. And, uh, and we need to get that focus on Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to be successful in this, you need support. You can't just do it on your own. You need fellowship. You need Prayer support around you. You need to be able to share authentically with with others in the church. You need to carry some of that pressure and responsibility. And we are making no apologies for pushing life groups in BCC right now. Vlad has been appointed in a role. Adam's taking on more ministry responsibility, and we've talked about that. We are actively, actively preparing ourselves to handle more and more people coming into the church. Um, There are more people. Last week, there were nine new people in BCC. (coughs) And each week now, there are people coming through. And regularly, people are making commitments to, to Christ. Um, so we know God is going to trust us with people as they come through. But what are we going to do with them? We can't just say, come to church on Sunday morning. That's the end point. It's all about discipleship and fellowship and building up faith and you know, sharpening each other's you know, iron, so to speak. Uh, my own experience of running a life group, our life group was... Often 18 to 20 people, Liz and I ran a life group for 10 years, absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved leading a life group. Quite honestly, in church life, a life group is really the heartbeat of of the real relationships in the church. If you're not involved in a life group, are you really in the heartbeat of what's going on in the church? Maybe you can only make a task group. Maybe you're in the welcome team or in another serving team. You know, I think all our teams should be ministry teams which means there needs to be an element of ministry within that team and also to people as we meet them. And we're actively going to look at that. Now, one of the things we want to do, just want to give you a heads up, is that I absolutely passionately feel that everybody linked to BCC should be linked to a group. Because if you're not linked to a group, life's going to be tough. If you're going into the marketplace and drawing opportunities, you need prayer support, fellowship, you need encouragement, you need to be able to share your experiences... Well, we want people to link to groups. So we're going to start working on that. And we'd like you today even to sign up to a group if you're not in one. But if you'll if you work with us on this, we want to start to align people to groups. Not that you're forced to do anything you don't want to do, but that, that we can start to actually see what's going on within our church. If we're going to draw all these people, what are we going to do with them? We have to handle people well, and God needs to trust us to do that. So to work with us on that, it would be good. My third point It's not only breaking routines, it's not only having boldness, but God will bring revelation. And it's Peter said, remember the sheep that came down? And then Peter replied, it says in Acts 10, 34, I see very clearly that God shows no favouritism in every nation. And the verses go on. I see clear. There'll be times when you just don't see what God is doing. You won't see it. You need to have people around you. And God will make what is not clear right now very, very clear as we set ourselves up and as we move forward. It's going to be very, very interesting. It says, um, in every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what's right. Those who fear him. And Deborah talked about fearing God. Do you remember that a couple of weeks back? The, what does that mean, to fear God? Well, it's a biblical principle about it's when our heart is so submitted to, to our Father in heaven, that, that actually, it's not that we're frightened of him. It's just that we, we don't want to do things that we know are wrong. That's what God, fearing God really is. It's, it's, you know, everybody gets tempted. Everybody. You've all been tempted this week. All of you. If you haven't, you're not human, let me tell you. Everyone in this room, whether you're tiny or you're very, very mature, <laughs> have been tempted this week. You have. I have. So let's get real about it. How you deal with that temptation is all based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. If your relationship is thin, then your temptations will make inroads into your life. If your relationship with God is strong and close and that fear of God is active in your life, you'll go, you know, I can't afford to allow myself to touch that stuff. I can't allow myself to get that close. That is going to destroy me. And that's the fear of God working in your life. If you're on that dodgy line where you're, you're you, know, you know, if the wind blows, you're going to fall off that way or... That's not a good place to be. That that needs an active choice to get yourself solidly in God's presence. That's why life groups are so important because they're they're a confidential private place where with trust built up you can work with people who are in the church just to to encourage you because you can't survive on your own. You can't. You've got to be in fellowship and Sunday mornings is never going to do it for you. It's going to encourage you. It's going to challenge you. God might even speak prophetically to you like he did in the first service to some. But But actually, when you leave this place, you're going to be on that difficult marketplace pull. And if you're going, believe me, the more you penetrate into the marketplace with the gospel, the more the temptations will hit you. Why? Because the devil doesn't like it when we bring our faith right into places to affect people's lives. But you know why? Because people are responsive. People are authentically going to respond to you as you as you bring an awareness of who God is. You know, I want to see this photo. I didn't share this in the first service because we ran out of time. But, but um, God reveals... This is a, a photograph of a guy who was in the Australian Navy during the Second World War. His name was Frank Jenner. And uh, a book was written about him, which I haven't read. Uh, but you can find out about him on, on the internet. If you go on YouTube, you can hear an amazing account of his life. He was, uh, had a troublesome early start in life. He was, you know, he, he, he was involved in all sorts of things... Um, but he, he came to faith. He dramatically found salvation. And someone just took the gospel to this guy, Frank Jenner. And he was so changed by that encounter with the truth that he made a commitment that for the rest of his life he will attempt to share his faith with ten people a day. That's what he did. And this is when he was, you know, in the army days. Eventually he left the, the Navy. Uh, and he lived in Sydney. And um, his, he discovered a good place... To, um, to try and accost people <laughs> which is what he did but in a, in a godly authentic way um, he would stand in a shop window on George Street in Sydney and for years he would jump out in front of people <laughs> and a strange little white haired man would say with a pamphlet in his hand excuse me sir are you saved? if you die tonight where will you be in eternity? heaven or hell? that was basically his one line That's it. That's all he could do. He was nothing more than a simple guy giving a simple question to people, and some would say inappropriately, but it was authentic. This wasn't a nutcase. This is a guy who had an authentic sense of God's done so much for me. The least I can do is do what God's done for me. And he did this time and time and time again. And the story goes like this. There was a pastor in the UK called Francis Dixon, and his youth pastor amazingly came to faith because of (coughs) encountering this guy, from George Street. He said, a, a strange little white-haired man stepped out from a shop doorway and said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, where will you spend eternity? And he thought, this is a very strange story. And so this pastor, who Francis Dixon, um, he, he was often abroad, doing ministry abroad. And bizarrely, he came across more than 10 different occasions just chatting to leaders around the world in different countries. One was in North India, now leading big moves of God and evangelist teams. He asked them, what's your, what's your story? Oh well, at a point a few years ago, I was stationed in Sydney and I, I walked down George Street and a funny little white-haired man jumped out and said to me, excuse me sir, where are you going to spend eternity? If you died tonight, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? I was so struck by that, it made me think. I took his leaflet, yeah and then I gave my life to Jesus. And this happened time and time and time again. He went to a convention in the States and the same thing happened. He met an organiser out there And then back, he he thought this was all such a strange thing. Um, It was just mystifying. Anyway, this guy, Francis Dixon, ended up going down to Sydney. He had a conference to do in Sydney. And he thought, well, I'm there. I'll I'll find out if this man is real. (laughs) Who is is this guy, this strange little uh, white-haired man? And uh, the guy, the pastor, one of the leaders there said, yeah, we know Frank, he's in an old people's (coughs) home. He's an old man now. You know, when he met him, this old man had done this for 40 years. And he'd, he'd done that to over 100,000 people. In fact, they reckon it's up to upwards of 140,000 people. And he'd never heard of a single person giving their lives to Christ. And so this guy, Francis Dixon, the pastor from the UK, said, Well, I've met 10. And they're leading networks and movements. There's some of them are pastors, even my own youth pastor. And I just want you to know that what you've done counted. It counted for something. I just want to encourage us today. God will reveal to you what you do in due course. You don't always have to know it all up front. But what could you do? Could you take a leaflet? Could you take a gospel? Could you take something of your own testimony And rather than just sit in the office, on the computer, doing the work you do, could you pray for a door to open? Could you meet a Cornelius? Could the worship team join me? (laughs) It's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting what God does with a little bit of faith. And when God has got purpose, and we're positioned, every one of us is positioned for purpose. He wants to break our routines. He wants us to boldly respond. And, you know, in due, in due course, he will reveal to you what this is all about. He'll reveal to you. You'll see people. I mean, remember when Angie brought her friend Sarah along and her friend Mel along. Mel's sitting in here and Sarah's here normally. You know, there are many of you who brought friends in. But, you know, it's about what we do. It is about what we do. It's about our willingness and our courage to share our faith. So why don't we stand there? We're going to sing a song. So Shagan, take us through a song. Jesus is at the centre. And we're going to sing that in words right now.